Welcome back, guys. And I am joined now by our guest today, Don Stewart. Don, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us today. I had the awesome opportunity to read your article talking about venture capital investments, both uh, broadly, narrowly within crypto, and then even more narrowly within Bitcoin itself. We'll be sure to post that link uh, in the comments. Be sure to take the time to read it. It's excellent. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. It's uh, it's kind of a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention in the Bitcoin world, but I feel like it's super important. So appreciate you guys uh, helping to spread the word. Of course. I want to start first before we dive into your your article. Uh, I'm a big investor guy. I aspire one day to have some sort of a VC component of my investment strategy. However, I'm limited by the laws that are arbitrarily put in place about being an accredited investor. I'd love your thoughts on that. Just what, and if you don't mind taking a second to explain for those of our viewers who maybe not don't know the hurdles that are required to be an accredited investor. And- yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah, the accredited investor laws, in in my opinion, are totally archaic, totally not warranted, and really just serve to restrict uh, the population from making decisions with their own money. Uh, when you and when you kind of frame it like that, you can tell how ridiculous that sounds. I mean. You make money, you spend it on whatever you want, yet the government tries to, quote, protect us from investing in risky early stage startups unless you meet a certain net worth criteria or a certain income criteria, which is what those accredited uh, investor laws are are drawn upon. So totally ridiculous in my opinion. Hopefully that'll change one day. Um, for now, we're kind of stuck with it. But yeah, the reason they they exist is to you know try to like I said protect people from themselves, which um, just sounds about as crazy as uh, as anything else. <laughs> yeah, they they say that, and at the same time, they allow you to buy alcohol, they allow you to buy cigarettes and tobacco, they allow you to gamble, and and a lot of states now. Um, and I always like to remind everyone, stock market is just a legalized casino. Options trading is just the craps table on steroids. But I don't want to bore you guys with, with my thoughts on all of this. I want to spend some time now, Don, having you break down and just sort of discuss, share with us a little bit broad strokes about what sort of led you down this path to really uncovering what's going on with venture capital within Bitcoin and what you sort of noticed during your research. For sure. Yeah. So kind of like, you know, like everybody else who's on Bitcoin Twitter all day, I just kept seeing day after day, all of these fundraising announcements from quote unquote, crypto related startups and tokens. And the, the numbers were just eye popping. You know, it seemed like every day somebody was raising another billion dollar fund or um, a company that's supposedly decentralized was raising a hundred million from, from Silicon Valley VCs like A16Z or consensus or things like that. And so I really just started digging in thinking, you know, why aren't Bitcoin companies having these same kind of announcements? Why is it only crypto companies and tokens that, you know, are, attracting these these billions of dollars from traditional investors and traditional venture capital firms. And so really, I think it boils down to a handful of things. Um, long story short, I think a lot of these traditional investors are underestimating Bitcoin and underestimating the chance for a hyper-Bitcoin organization future. So they look at you know the, the state of the crypto market and they see ways to make pretty easy multiples on their money. And since they have kind of the fiat mindset of, of short-term thinking and short time to liquidity, um, they just pile into these investments to try to get 
like I said, quick returns on their money. And I think a lot of the times they know some of the, the projects and the companies they're supporting don't necessarily really provide any value to society in any way. Um, they kind of just see it as, you know, a way to, a way to make quick returns on their capital. Whereas, um, in the Bitcoin world, obviously, most of us have much lower time preference and we're thinking more long term. And so consequently, um, a lot of the, the companies in the space actually, you know, take their time to, to build things out as opposed to just launching a white paper and raising, you know, a couple hundred million bucks. Um, they actually want to build a product and have some users and things like that, you know, silly things like that before they start raising money. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of a mismatched incentives. And as we know, being in Bitcoin, incentives are everything. So um, I understand why it's uh, easy for some of these crypto tokens and companies to attract a lot of capital. But on the other hand, I think that really leaves a lot of these uh, Bitcoin companies with, with kind of a gap to fill and an opportunity to attract a lot of mission aligned uh, capital that could potentially have an opportunity of paying off big time in the long run. Awesome. I, I definitely think that you, you, you do an excellent job of sort of breaking down both what is wrong with the system, what you would like to see done, and just sort of the inherent flaw, which I think stems from just like this fiat mindset for financial firms and institution of what is the best, fastest return I can get. And it it's it's like dealing with a little toddler, honestly. Like what's the new shiny toy? How many toys do you have? And how much are these toys worth? That's really all they're asking. And when you enter this digital realm, it to a degree is arbitrary. Do you find, or did you find that some of these crypto focused companies tended to have or offer the world and then sort of turned around and had nothing sort of behind the curtain? If you will, you brought up the statistic that 90, over 90% of VC investments end up failing um, just inherently. That's the way the game is. Is that number sort of true to crypto as well? decrease or increase? Yeah, I think, um, you know, anybody that's been around the crypto world for more than a few years has seen like the top 10, top 20 list of token projects change a lot over time. So um, anything that's not Bitcoin really doesn't generally have a long lasting uh, stay on that, you know, top 20, top 50 list. So I think it's, unfortunately, it's, it's just a way kind of like we talked about a few minutes ago for people to print their own money out of thin air in regards to these tokens. And, um, you know, you see venture capitalists who have the opportunity to buy these tokens that um, are at a steep discount when they get to buy them compared to when they eventually get listed on, on an exchange and then, you know, retail starts to buy them and they, they're kind of able to use their access to jump in early, get that discounted price, and then also turn on their, you know, marketing and hype machines to really kind of hype up that token or project. And, you know, when it does eventually go lot, goes live and when it eventually starts trading on an exchange, um, that's typically when you'll see them, you know, start divesting from their position, uh, kind of when hype is at its highest level. Um, that's typically, you know, when they've already made, you know, 10 to 100 times their money, if not more. And uh, that's when they're selling their, their tokens to the retail people that are jumping in towards the top. And generally, uh, things go downhill after that. But um, the other kind of like difference between like a, a regular tech company and some of these crypto companies that have their own tokens is, they're, you know, in the, in the normal equity based world where you're actually buying a piece of an actual company, um, you're going to have your, your capital locked up for a period of time. So you're not gonna be able to sell those shares for like, you know, three to five years, typically on average. So it kind of, uh, helps keep those in incentives aligned between the investors and the builders of the company. And that way it's, uh, you know, everybody's kind of on the same team pulling towards the same goal. 
Uh, but with these tokens, you know, a lot of the times those those vesting schedules don't necessarily exist. So uh, a lot of these times, like I said, these these investors can get liquidity early on in their investments. And that's another reason why it's attractive to them because then they can just say, hey, you know, LPs of our fund, we returned three times your money in like six months after this token listed. So it's kind of a, it's kind of sad to see, but I think, like I said, I think that also leaves an opportunity for, for Bitcoiners to actually jump in and, and fund some of these Bitcoin only companies who are thinking more long-term and who actually have a, a chance to be around you know, more than a couple of years into the future. Definitely. I mean, we, we've all seen that list that it, it continues to change. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next three to five years, some of the tokens that we see in the top 10 now don't exist. It's funny. And I, I want to share this. This is pure speculation. This is not rooted. In fact, I've never confirmed this. However, what you say about what happens as far as like, you know, in essence, the pump and dump of some of these other tokens, which we all agree and know that this does happen. I was actually taught way back in the day when I was like purely in finance trading at equities. Uh, my mentor actually taught me the moment you see it on the news, whether it's Fox Business or MSNBC, and you specifically see the fund manager going on to talk about, oh, I have a heavy position in this. That's his way of saying, I'm selling. And I want you to buy all of the shares that I'm about to start dumping. So it, it is, it's almost, almost like they're taking the same playbook that they've used in equities and returning it here in the crypto market, except this time, because it's in the crypto space, it's not regulated. You have these centralized entities who are benefiting from their money, come from Wall Street money coming in. What what can we do to stop this? Is there something, does it mean regulations? Does it mean the SEC needs to get involved? What you have the ultimate control for 24 hours to write in the new rules. What is, what is Don's rule to regulate this, if any? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably more on the, you know, let the free market work itself out side of the fence. I don't necessarily think regulation does a whole lot to benefit um, people. I think really the way for most people to learn is just to get burned. You know, um, when you're when you're a kid growing up and you know you do something bad, you you touch the hot stove. You know, you get burned. I think the same thing should apply to to investing. Um, I wish they would kind of like we talked about earlier, get rid of the rules restricting people from making early stage equity investments because I think a lot of the a lot of the shenanigans we're seeing with the tokens could be um, just pulling, you know, capital and desire into the into that sphere because it doesn't have a way to actually invest in real companies for the most part. A lot of, uh, you know, the crypto native don't necessarily always meet those high net worth accreditation uh, rules qualifications, so they end up having to go speculate on, you know, the latest, uh, you know, Shiba Inu or, or whatever the flavor of the month is to try to to try to make it. So. Um, in my opinion, it would just be a total free market where, you know, people are free to do as they wish with their money. And, you know, if they make a bad investment and it fails, then, um, you know, that's on them. And hopefully it'll be a learning experience. Absolutely. I, you learn the most on the trades you lose money on, not the trades you made money on. I, I will always hammer that point at home. And you mentioned kind of, uh, you know, the, the legacy guys kind of, you know, going on, on there and, and talking about their investments after they've already completed their their uh, their fund their raise and you know they're starting to sell their position. I'll never forget um, Bill Ackman, kind of like right at the height of COVID, went on CNBC and talked about how we needed uh, the Fed to step in and you know they needed to supply liquidity. And then you know a few weeks after that, it came out that he had just absolutely loaded up at the very bottom of the of the COVID dump. So yeah, that thing definitely happens. <laughs> I, although like regardless of that, I will give Ackman the credit to just 
like have the balls to do it. Like I'm going to put billions of dollars and then I'm literally going to like on national TV without the, without everyone, only the people who are really paying attention. I'm going to, I'm going to make the call to say, Hey, let's, let's make us all some money right now. Yep. Um, he's, he's playing the game. I'll give him that. <laughs> now, whether it's ethical or not, that's another question, but <laughs> uh, sometimes you got to play the game to, to make the game, but sure, I want to talk a little bit about decentralization. We've spent some time on today's episode talking about the trucker convoy, talking about the GoFundMe debacle from the last week. Uh, and I've touched a couple of times, and I'd love your thoughts on this, this idea that, hey, now that Bitcoin has sort of presented itself to the trucker convoy, and now those donations are not getting blocked, this is exciting and a great step forward. However, if it wasn't Bitcoin, and if it was just another blockchain that was helping to do this, there are, and I'm hard pressed to off the top of my head, think of another blockchain or crypto that is decentralized. So if we use this example where instead of Bitcoin stepping in, it was some other BS side chain off of Ethereum, but it is centralized, the Canadian government could essentially do exactly what they did with GoFundMe with this other token. So what is stopping any of these sort of centralized cryptocurrencies from being corrupted or manipulated by a bad actor or by external force. Yep, yep. That's that's kind of a, you know one of the main risks. A lot of the times, the the people who are behind these these tokens or companies that purport to be decentralized um, really go out there and in my in in my opinion, they're directly trying to mislead people when they call themselves decentralized. When really, at the end of the day, I mean, we see even Ethereum, which the case could be made is the most decentralized after Bitcoin. Um, we see, you know, just a small group of, of players there who are able to change the monetary policy, uh, hard fork the chain, roll back, you know, hacks when they happen, things like that. So even if, uh, you know, a project or a token purports to be decentralized, really at the end of the day, we've seen time and time again, whether it's a hack, um, pressure from regulators, et cetera, usually these things are controlled by a small number of people. And um, in the case where censorship, censorship resistance is really needed, um, those things tend to crumble. So I agree with you that, you know, Bitcoin is the only one that's sufficiently decentralized and able to take on that property. And um, I think the the fact that that is being shown to the world right now with what's going on in, in Canada and, and Bitcoin kind of coming to save the day will hopefully bring a, a lot more attention to just normal people who don't necessarily realize what Bitcoin is and how it's different than the other cryptos. Awesome. Well, well thank you for helping to validate my uh, my point. I want to I want to flip the table on you. I'm going to play devil's advocate for for a moment. There was one line, only one line that I want to do this. So I'm not trying to like nitpick here. Uh, I like to play devil's advocate. It was really hard to find something I disagreed with you on in your article. Uh, however, there was one one point. It was actually the second point regarded about in the section of misguided comparisons of crypto to tech. And you, you sort of talk about the fact that these crypto, I'm just going to read the line, actually. The fact that these cryptocurrencies print their own money out of thin air is not comparable to actual tech companies that must create value in order to attract capital. Um, so to playing devil's advocate here, there is, I'm going to use Solana as, as the example where they have created this blockchain in essence to be the quote unquote Ethereum killer. The way they've designed their blockchain is supposed to to decrease the fees, yada, 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 make it easily acceptable, whatever jargon that they want to use to sell this technology. There is a byproduct though, which is the actual token that is going to be released during each iteration of the block completing. Mm -hmm. 
Would you not see or say that like their blockchain, their unique blockchain becomes the technology that they provide? And yes, they can, in theory, print no different than the Fed printing dollars. Uh, they can print, debase their currency, debase their token as they see fit. But there is still, arguably, you could do that with a stock. You could do a 20 to one split like we saw with Google. We can see new issuance. We can see a bond, whatever. It almost feels like there is a case to be made that that comparison almost makes them more similar rather than different. I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's an important important point to bring up kind of some important differences. So the first being that with a regular company that issues actual shares of equity that are enforced by uh, laws and regulations that are well established um, at the in the in the jurisdiction where those are issued, um, kind of brings up about a couple important points. So number one, like anytime there's an action, like whether it be like you mentioned, a reverse split or a stock split like that, those actions have to be improved by the majority of the shareholders. Whereas in the case for, you know, Solana or any other token, really, you don't have voting rights uh, when you hold those tokens, typically. I mean, you can be part of like a, a DAO or whatever, but those don't necessarily have the same, uh, they don't actually have the same legal rights as, a, as an equity does. So it's still up to that small group of people at the end of the day to make those decisions uh, on behalf of the group. But with an equity, you have, you have, you know, a board of directors, you have legal obligations to your shareholders, you have rights to be able to vote for certain um, corporate actions. So I think those are some important differences there. And then the other part of it being that, um, with Solana or any other altcoin who is able to basically change the issuance of their, their token whenever they see fit, it really just becomes kind of an infinite uh, money printing machine. Whereas with a traditional equity, I mean, yes, you can uh, issue more shares, dilute the equity value of the company. But if you do that up to a certain point, you're going to decapitalize the company in such a way where shareholders are no longer going to hold that equity anymore. And basically, if you push it too far, people sell the equity, your capitalization goes down to a, a big enough point where you don't have much of a company left. Um, so I think those are a couple main differences between the two. My fellow clubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Awesome. Well, th thank you for walking us through that. I want to spend the rest of our, or as much time now as possible, focused on Bitcoin, Bitcoin companies and money coming into it. Last year was a big year for Bitcoin mining companies. In fact, on app, 
cumulatively on average, they actually outpaced uh, Bitcoin's gains for 2021. We see Wall Street now getting more invested. Core Scientific is officially a publicly traded company now. Where do you see sort of the next iteration? I personally find that mining might actually be oversaturated at the moment. You may disagree, but is there a, a sector in Bitcoin that most excites you as far as where investments are going into? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, one of the areas I'm most excited about is basically financial services specifically for Bitcoin. Uh, so you kind of see Unchained Capital being kind of the pioneer of that space where um, you know, they're making it to where people can take loans against their Bitcoin. Um, there are certain services out there who let you generate a yield, which comes with you know, risks that people need to be aware of as well. Um, but I think any kind of financial service related to Bitcoin for Bitcoiners will be a, a huge segment moving forward. Um, you're starting to see some companies being born who are attacking the mortgage angle. So being able to use Bitcoin as collateral for a mortgage. And I think you'll just continue to see more and more financial services products for Bitcoiners being developed. Um, everybody kind of is starting to realize that Bitcoin is the most important property and it's the scarcest asset anyone can hold. So how do we kind of unlock some of that potential um, to where holders can continue to hold their Bitcoin, but also access some um, capital uh, based on that Bitcoin. So really excited to see where that specific industry goes, whether it's um, uh, whether it's loans that are not rehypothecated on the other end. I think that's going to be huge. Whoever can kind of crack that nut as well as like we talked about kind of mortgages and other maybe life insurance products, things like that with, with Bitcoin at the base layer, I think will be super interesting. The other category I'm, I'm pretty bullish on is uh, the podcasting 2.0 stuff. I think the, the value for value model and being able to go directly to the content creator is just becoming more important by the day as we're seeing with, with you know, Joe Rogan drama that's been going on and just more and more people getting uh, canceled by cancel culture. I think uh, being able to stream sats directly to content creators as you consume their content is a, is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. I mean, it is, you brought it up, so we'll go down this path, but uh, seeing the censorship conversation continue in so many different ways, whether it's censoring Joe Rogan, whether it's censoring the right for the trucker convoy to protest, I, I am very optimistic at the opportunities that Bitcoin presents as far as freedom of speech. I know that our team here is is figuring out podcasting 2.0 as well. Are you worried or nervous that as we sort of wake up the beast that is decentralized entities that control clown world, uh, that they will bite back? Um, I think there's always that risk. I think uh, I kind of have a different opinion on that front than most uh, people do in the space. I actually take back and kind of uh, evaluate the situation from first principles. And if you look, especially in America, at how uh, the government and the different agencies have acted towards Bitcoin to date, really what you'll find is it's been nothing but support. So, I mean, you had the, the IRS kind of jumped out in, in 2014, I believe, and classified Bitcoin as property uh, for tax treatment, which is great. I mean, that's uh, we have some of the, the strongest property rights in the entire world. So um, I think having that benefit here in America is a, is a huge plus. Um, you've had the SEC come out numerous times and say that everything else besides Bitcoin is likely a security, uh, but Bitcoin obviously is not. So, I mean, they've been friendly. Um, you have the CFTC that classifies Bitcoin as a commodity. We have a regulated futures market now. Um, so these are all bullish developments. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, we do see some 
kind of, uh, you know, some, some words being thrown around from the treasury department and things like that is in regards to, uh, things like the travel rule or non-custodial wallets, things like that. Um, I think we have a good chance to kind of, um, hopefully get ahead of those things. And ha we have some really amazing Bitcoiners now who are form uh, forming different coalitions and things like that to go educate some of the, the lawmakers in, in Washington and hopefully put in some, some common sense when they're drafting these various crypto regulations. I think part of the problem is, uh, is just kind of like a conflation between Bitcoin and crypto. And to a lot of these uninformed politicians, they can't see the difference between the two. Uh, so having people who are really good at you know, um, describing the, the differences and why Bitcoin is in its own separate class from everything else. I think um, hopefully we'll just keep uh, keep a lid on anything that's too draconian as far as it relates to Bitcoin and regulations. But to date, I mean, really, we've we've only had positive de developments. So I'm pretty um, I'm pretty excited to to hopefully continue that trend. I, I'm as optimistic as you, and and hope to continue to push that forward. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to look directly at the camera as though you're not speaking to me or, or our audience, but rather uh, as though you're on the floor of Congress right now. Uh, and please define for Congress what the difference between Bitcoin and crypto is to you. Yeah, really, it just comes down to being decentralized and not having any single group or individual in charge. So Bitcoin is just code. Um, it's run on millions of computers all across the world. In order to change how the consensus mechanism works, you need buy-in from you know, every single node in the network. Um, people have the opportunity to only implement changes as they see fit. Uh, Bitcoin is the only protocol out there that that applies to. Everything else has either a leader or a centralized entity coalition that makes decisions on behalf of all of the nodes in the network, where Bitcoin, the actual node runners are the the last bastion of what happens on their code so um i think it's 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 uh beneficial for america and the world to have a decentralized network that provides millions of people all over the world an opportunity to store their wealth in something that's not uh, be able to be de debased by any uh one person or, or one country so that's my, my that's my spiel <laughs> Love it. Uh, hopefully, someone in Congress is listening. We'll make right. sure we're gonna we're gonna sure watch that out. Yeah. yeah. Someone, <laughs> someone. Hey, Jack Mallers, if you're watching right now, hello. We appreciate that you are a fan of the show. Um, but uh, I do want to maybe go through the lens now of Bitcoin and tech, where you know we spend a little bit of this conversation now talking about you know Bitcoin's big selling point, if you will, is its decentralization and the fact that there is no ability to necessarily control it we're we're watching right now congress fight with big tech we're seeing issues with data collection we're seeing issues with uh privacy and security facebook seems to have a, a different fight or argument with congress every week is there a way to almost paint bitcoin as the best version of big tech because of its decentralized nature and how would you do that yeah, I think the applications built on top of Bitcoin can really have an opportunity to deplace some of the, the monolithic tech companies we have out there right now, um, whether it's podcasting 2.0, kind of like we touched on earlier, where people are able to provide value to content creators in ways they see fit without any intermediary, um, having a chance to say, you know, what should and should not be censored, I think is incredibly important for people, especially as we move more and more into this digital age where we're kind of 
Um, you know, we're remote first, we use technology to interact with each other, even more so now than ever before. And um, the majority of interaction is moving online, whether it, you know, if it's not there already, it's certainly moving more and more in that direction as every day goes on. So I think having alternatives to uh, the Facebooks and Twitters of the world is, is very important for people to be able to just continue to express their opinions um, without being censored. And I think also just having, having a way to move native currency of the internet over the internet is, has a bunch of other um, potential benefits as well, whether that's, you know, being able to reduce spam by attaching, you know, like a, a one sat per message fee, things like that. There's, there's kind of endless possibilities that we can uh, implement with Bitcoin as the base layer to improve upon the, the traditional tech system. And I think also that the more that people, more time people spend online, the more we're kind of like creating these smaller uh, niche online communities. And I think having uh, Bitcoin be able to be kind of the base layer to that system, as opposed to having to rely on, you know, a Facebook or an Amazon web services to stay online, uh, people can actually, you know, run instances of the servers at their house all across the world and be kind of more, uh, much more anti-fragile than a lot of the, the big tech companies are today. Yeah, I definitely see a, a world where I mean, I I preach the the notion that Bitcoin is this base layer of of what we knew as the internet, and we today do not interact with said base layer of the internet. We're on layer three, four, or above. Um, so it will be interesting to see sort of what these next layers, layer two, famously is right now the Lightning Network with other applications being built on top of that. Um, what what is something layer three other than uh, podcast 2.0 that is not even an inception, but you just, I don't want to like take away your, your golden idea, but is there something that you'd like to see Bitcoin fix on this layer three or above? Let me ask it like that. Yeah. I think there's, there's some really cool applications now that can be start being developed and played around with now that uh, we have taproot in and that DLCs are becoming uh, more built upon for the first time. So I think we're going to see a lot of cool iterations of, of new ideas start to be built. I know for, you know, the majority of the last four or five years, it's been Ethereum who is saying, you know, we can do smart contracting and this has millions of use cases, et cetera, et cetera. And to, to know that those types of applications can now be built on top of Bitcoin is pretty exciting. So I think we'll see things like native uh, stable coins on the Lightning Network, um, which can unlock just a uh, numerous applications, whether that's being able to do like non-custodial peer-to-peer um, contracts for difference on the Bitcoin price, for example, uh, whether it's doing more peer-to-peer messaging with SATs integrated, um, things like Stacker News, which is basically building like a better Reddit based on the Lightning Network that uses SATs for upvotes and, and things like that. Um, I think we'll just see more and more iterations of um, kind of the existing products, but built on a more solid base layer with, with the incentives that are much more aligned to the actual users of the, of the network. Um, so I envision a future where, you know, instead of being monetized and using all of our data to sell to advertisers who then push advertisements on us, track our every move, you know, um, all of our information for their profit, I think we have the opportunity to flip that, flip that script and actually be paid in sats for our attention and be able to monetize our attention as we see fit. So I think there's some pretty, pretty cool developments on the horizon. Uh, I love that. I mean, 
we're starting to see uh, a little bit of that where we see the democratization of data um, companies paying for the right to access our data or giving us opportunities. Uh, I know there's a company, I'll, I'll shout them out, uh, Shopkick, where if you go to a grocery store and just scan things that you see or buy, uh, you get points that eventually lead to a gift card. Um, but it's also like pennies on the dollar. I believe every point is worth like four cents or something even less than that kind of a thing. So to your point, we are seeing this notion of paying people for their data or in essence, almost collecting and, and securing our own data. What are steps that you've taken over the last year or two years to sort of control the data that you're giving out to big tech? Yeah, that's actually been something I've been on a kind of a personal crusade to get better at. So the, the first thing I did is just got rid of Facebook totally and completely about a little over a year ago now. And I have to say, um, there, there hasn't been a single day where I've missed it. So, it, you know, it's like either just advertisements, baby pictures, um, <laughs> high school friends posting, you know, pictures of their dog or whatever. So um, definitely didn't miss it personally. So that was one thing. The other things being you can try to use like Calyx OS as an operating system instead of, you know, iOS or Android, which is cool using password managers instead of, you know, just having three or four different passwords that you use all over the place. Kind of just small things like that, that incrementally can make a big difference. And I think just being involved with the Bitcoin ecosystem and trying to use more Bitcoin native apps, whether that's, you know, podcasting apps, um, social media apps that are running on Bitcoin, as opposed to the, the big tech versions as much as possible goes a long way. Um, just less opportunity for your, your data to be harvested and things like that. So yeah, just uh, trying to not to use... Um, not to use, you know, your Alexa around the house as often, maybe even, un, you know, unplug it or get rid of it totally. Um, I know a lot of Bitcoiners got rid of their, their ring doorbells, um, just things like that who are, you know, it's, a, it's convenient, but at the end of the day, you don't really necessarily realize how much information you're giving away and, and what that information is being used for. So I think um, trying to take a little incremental steps to improve your privacy, kind of like Matt O'Dell always talks about, uh, can, can go a long way. And I'm definitely on that journey myself as well. Um, I love that. I mean, you bring up a valid point about the Amazon Alexa. I mean, look, we, I, I have an iPhone. I use Siri from time to time. And the idea or notion that, oh, only when you say, hey, Siri, or hey, Alexa, is it listening to us? Like, let's not kid ourselves. It is constantly taking the words that are said around it. Um, and it, like, that's why... I, there was a period of my life where before I really understood like the detriment of having all of my data just like out there, I used to actually very jokingly, but seriously say like, oh, I have a camping trip in six months. So what am I going to do? I'm going to fill my cookies up with camping equipment. So I start to get like advertisements of like, what are this? Like, I don't, I know what equipment I need. I want to know what's on sale. So <laughs> right. I, will, I will say I did, I went in the opposite direction of that, but also recognizing now, I think that the detriment of just giving away uh, data and information for free uh, when you, when there is no cost, you are the product. For sure. And I think everybody probably has a story of, you know, you don't even, so you've been sitting around your house, you know, talking about something. And then later on that evening, you're looking at your phone and you see an advertisement for, you know, a product related to a conversation you were having a few hours ago. And you know that you never searched for it or anything on your phone. And it's like, okay, that's a little creepy. <laughs> so when things like that start to happen more and more often, I think it's uh, more and more people just realize like, hey, I think, um, 
I think there might be something else going on here than, than what they initially tell you. So <laughs> there's the, I, I honestly, I don't even know what it's called, but there was an article that came out where it, it like explained like, no, th- this is happening. Like it is recording what you're saying because like Siri and Alexa, they are programmed to constantly be listening, but only respond to key phrases. Mm-hmm. But of course, as any expert data scientist knows and will tell you, you don't throw away any data. You collect it all and then you condense from there. So they're literally collecting every word that is said until they hear the trigger of, I'm not going to say, hey, Siri, you know, <laughs> my phone to go off. But like, like that's to your point, like it, it literally did listen to you. And that is exactly how that happened. Like, don't, don't joke about it. Like know and be aware that that is the way the program is designed. It is constantly listening to you as I go and like shove my phone under a pillow. So it stops listening. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The other, the other really bad thing is the maps too, which a lot of people don't realize. So, I mean, even if you don't have your, your maps app engaged, it still tracks everywhere you go. Um, so, I mean, there's no, there's no privacy. I mean, anywhere you go, your, your phone knows and uh, whoever's behind, you know, whether it's Apple or Google or somewhere, somewhere else, I mean, that's sitting on one of their servers somewhere. So um, yeah, the more we can get away from, from using those operating systems and the more we can use things like Calico S uh, is just, uh, you know, in, incremental improvements. And I think more and more people are starting to realize why that's important, which is good to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had my tinfoil hat on right now. Cause all I'm thinking is every single word I've ever said around my iPhone, is logged away in some like whatever place that Apple stores all of this stuff. Couple that with like all the ridiculous things that I posted on my social media accounts. Make sure you, you go and uh, follow both myself and Don, as well as our producer, Chris, and my co-host, Alex. Um, but like you essentially have this like digital data version of yourself that lives somewhere that you don't have any access to that you have no control or say over. And as we continue to go further into this digital age and digital world, and we enter the metaverse, like this idea that, oh, I'm going to go into the metaverse and like come across a character or a character that's like, looks like me, has mannerisms like me, but is purely computer program based on everything that I've essentially input over the last 15 years online. Like that's a scary reality. Like it's not far, it's not as much science fiction as we want to like joke. I don't know if you necessarily agree with that or not, but. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where things are are heading for sure. I kind of personally, I kind of hope we are able to kind of head some of that off and actually get back to more of like in-person connections instead of moving further and further into the digital space. Um, But I mean, I think some people will like that world. Some people will spend a lot of time in that world. I just think um, there there might be some potential downsides to that as far as um, human interaction and things like that, especially for younger for younger people like kids. So I'm a, I'm pretty bullish on like the in person like Bitcoiner like Citadel type theory, and I hope uh, we can kind of have a mixture of both. But yeah, I agree with you that I think there's there's a ton of data out there, and you know people that are trying to monetize that data will do whatever they need to do to do that. So that's why I think it's it's important for Bitcoiners to also start using things in a more peer-to-peer fashion, whether that be, you know, using something like an Umbral or a Start9 embassy to um, host own, host your own applications, host your various server instances of things that you care about and not be so uh, beholden to the to the big tech giants. Yeah, I, it is a, uh, this, this is, I think, the last call 
But we really are at that last call, yep. final chapter. It's time for us to start to control our online presence in a way that has never been controlled before, financially with Bitcoin, our data with whatever security measures and privacy uh, that you need to take personally that makes you feel most comfortable, and making sure you're properly compensated for the fact that, let's, let's be real, I would say over half, and I'm including porn because I saw a very interesting post on Instagram talking about how like, you know, Pornhub, it's a, it's a free website. But in essence, like well, we've had this conversation over and over and over again, when it is a free website, what is the real product? Right. You, it, it, you are the product. So even Pornhub and porn sites, I will free porn sites. I will categorize as you have a majority of the internet is free. There's no paywall. You are, you are the product. And so we need to start taking those steps. What is something though of this, of, of the last 20 years as the internet has essentially grown uh, that you don't want to see change, that you'd actually like to see continue on in this next, next iteration of the Bitcoin standard? Yeah, I think, um, I think we just need to keep in mind ease of use. So, I mean, that's one good thing about centralized tech companies is that they can make their products really super easy to use and make it pretty frictionless for us to complete various activities online. And when we start to decentralize some of those some of those ideas, uh, it, it becomes harder to have a more frictionless process. So anybody that's kind of ever tried to like onboard to um, Lightning, for example, and, and do it in a purely um, non-custodial fashion, it's still not very easy to do. And there's, you know, there's lots of examples like that in the Bitcoin world, whether it's, you know, holding your own private keys, things like that. It's, uh, it's still, it's still in the stage now where the, the front end UX UI isn't necessarily fully there as far as making things seamless and easy. Um, and so a lot of, I know a lot of companies are, are working on those things and hopefully one day, which I think we will get there, it'll be, you know, just as easy as, um, sending an email or, or logging into your online bank account to do. Uh, different things with Bitcoin, but I think we're we're not quite there yet, and that's one thing I hope um, that we, you know, in this new in this new version of the internet we're moving to, I hope we can kind of keep it still streamlined and easy to use. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what people care about for the most part. Most most people aren't going to want to you know host their own server in their basement or or run their own Bitcoin node per se. Um, but if we make those things as easy um, as easy as just you know having a, a router in your house for your internet, then um, I think it'll go a long way for for helping keep uh, Bitcoin and, and the internet decentralized. Awesome. Um, I want to, we're, we're going to be wrapping up shortly, but before we do, I just want to make mention again to our audience, we are at 84 likes. We need to get to 100 likes before the end of the live stream. Otherwise, I have to continue this fast. And guys, I haven't eaten since Wednesday. So like, please like. I'm Let's really get Q hungry. fed, everybody. <laughs> feed Q. Hashtag feed Q is going to start trending on Twitter. Right. Um, I want to give you the opportunity, Don, to, to maybe talk about just what broad strokes you are seeing in, in clown world at large uh, within the Bitcoin community. You are, you are king of the world. What is what is the law or rule you are changing right now? Oh man, I like that. Uh, I like that scenario. Let's see. It also comes with uh, a lot of power. Becomes great responsibility too, though. So I uh, have to be careful. Now, I think that I think the first thing would be we just stop trying to centrally plan every single little part of everyone's lives. Um, 
we it's it's blatantly obvious that that's not working. I mean, we see how that went with the COVID lockdowns and the insanity that has ensued since then. So I think overarchingly, I would just treat people like adults. And I feel like the the way things are now in the clown world, we're all being um, dictated down to like we're children. And when that happens for a long enough time, it either breaks enough people's spirits to where we devolve, you know, straight into socialism. And um, that doesn't look like a very bright future. Or we have enough people stand up and say, we're no longer participating in this, um, in this game. And we're going to go over here and create our new version of the world. And whoever wants to come, you're welcome to come. Whoever doesn't, you can, you know, stay living in your, in your pod, eating your, your soy bugs for breakfast or whatever. Um, but we're going to go over here and, uh, and do things our way. So I'm bullish on, on Bitcoiners being the ones to kind of get the word out to enough quote unquote normies out there um, that Bitcoin is being used to, to usher in this new landscape and new world that's full of hope and optimism and getting away from the, the centrally planned uh, dictated world where uh, we have people who may not even be voted in, you know, in power, making decisions on behalf of, of millions of people. So bullish on decentralization and, and bullish on Bitcoiners. Love that. I mean, decentralization seems to be the the general theme across the board right now that, that seems to fix a lot of issues and problems. Do you have any sort of uh, message to, to the trucker convoy up north of the border I, i'm just making the assumption that you are also in america you don't yeah. need to you don't need to let us know if you are or not but if you have a message for for the trucker convoy yeah i mean i love what they're doing i think we need we need more demonstrations like that and uh, my support goes out to them i know uh, there's been a, a big fundraising effort going on on over twitter the last few days to to get them some bitcoin and i've uh, personally contributed to that so more power to you guys keep it up and stay strong we're all rooting for you and and kind of uh, hopefully that that will just spring about more and more of similar um, styles of of protests or um, things like that across the across the world. Yeah, I I also want to maybe ask you if you have a quick second. Um, I don't know if you you saw this story out of Coin Telegraph talking about uh, you know there's a lot of conversation that the truckers are are right wing and, and right leaning. Um, but there was actually an issue coming stemming from a progressive group left-leaning out of Cuba where PayPal actually blocked and stopped their donations from being collected. So you're actually seeing this happen on both sides of the spectrum. You're, you're seeing it with two different companies. I honestly, when I first brought it up, it didn't even click in my head because I was still like a little half asleep. Uh, but like this is Peter Thiel PayPal right now. And he he would be I mean, he's not dead. I know that, but he would be rolling over his PayPal grave if he knew that PayPal was, you know, just stopping anything of this vein. Um, do you have any sort of, like, do you think the fact that this is happening on both sides of the spectrum just further validates the inherent flaw in centralization? For sure. And I think that that's really where the Bitcoin being censorship resistant uh, really is, is time to shine because Bitcoin is apolitical. It doesn't care, you know, if you're left, right, center, um, it's, it's for everyone, uh, including our enemies, and people are going to use it whenever they see the opportunity for Bitcoin to solve whatever problem they, they're having. So I actually love that, uh, you know, both left wing people, right wing people, moderates, anybody can plug into the Bitcoin network and it just works for everyone because uh, Bitcoin is apolitical and it doesn't care. So I think that's just uh, another feather in the, hat, in the hat of Bitcoin. And I think it's, I think it's good too to actually see um, use cases play out where 
different groups are using Bitcoin for different reasons, because the, the last thing we want is for Bitcoin to be a polarized issue, uh, political issue in the U.S. especially, but across the world as well. Um, we want Bitcoin to, to remain neutral and uh, we don't need, you know, uh, whether it's right wing, left wing, whoever kind of attaching themselves to Bitcoin as their as their issue for political uh, gain. So I think it's great to have Bitcoin being used by by both sides of the aisle. Yeah, I want to I want to mention something that I saw on our Twitch chat. Uh, I don't know, Hypestar, if you are still here. I feel you. I'm with you that sometimes, you know, we see a little bit too much of extremism on both sides. I very loudly and proudly talk about the fact that I lean left uh, in a community that tends to not. However, you know, like I, I've said time and time again, I may not necessarily agree with Trump, but he has his right to say his thoughts and, and what he wants to say. The moment you call my country a shithole country, like we're going to, we're going to fight. I, I'm challenging you to a fight. So regardless of what happens, if we do things with love and compassion and we actually have kindness and empathy and listen to both sides rather than get defensive and argumentative, we're going to see ourselves grow and push forward to see the change that we want. I think that is, that is an admirable thing for us to aspire to knowing full well that we're probably never going to be perfect. Don, I want to give you one last chance. Let our audience know where they can find you. Well, we've posted a, a link to the article that you've written. We'll post that again, but is there anywhere else our audience should keep an eye on you? Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, just find me on Twitter. I'm a KC underscore hodl. And I'm also the, the co-host of a, of a Bitcoin podcast called Orange Pill Addicts. So check us out there. And other than that, I would just encourage everybody who is able to, uh, you know, based on those kind of draconian uh, accredited investor laws we talked about, anybody who, who meets that threshold, uh, try to get involved with some Bitcoin companies. There's, uh, there's really good ways to do it. You don't have to put in a ton of money. I mean, you can put in as little as a thousand bucks through various Bitcoin focused angels list syndicates and things like that. So um, I definitely recommend people try to get involved and support as many of these Bitcoin companies as they can. Um, in my view, you know, Bitcoin itself is going to succeed either way. I think we can speed up the, the path towards hyper-Bitcoinization by supporting some of these Bitcoin-focused companies. So um, yeah, that's it. Appreciate it, guys. Awesome.